0: Welcome to the South Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. We are currently in our Under the Radar series, where we are seeing God at work through obscure biblical characters. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Hey, well, good morning, and it's good to see you all. You know, it's really good to see you all. Boy, when the lights come up and all of you are at home, I'm glad you're joining us, but I gotta tell you, this is kind of neat to see us all together again. Um, uh, This morning, we're gonna be looking uh, in a a brief moment at uh, what Amy said, a a man born blind in this whole series called Under the Radar. Uh, You know, this is the first uh, obscure character that we're looking at that we never know their name. All we know is their circumstance. And we'll be digging into that a little bit later, but I would just like to say, um, Aaron, thanks for leading worship. Um, that was terrific. And, you know, it's something how, it, it's something how God works, because uh, this morning, you know, we got up and uh, Carrie went out for a walk. I went out for a walk a little later, but Carrie went out first. She came back singing a song, and she was singing that last song that we sang. And she said, Oh, I hope we sing this one. Um, so that's great. I love it when God does stuff like that. Um, a man born blind. You know, we, we've heard this guy's story. It's, it's in John chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to that. John chapter 9. But uh, as I was approaching this, I had to ask myself the question. Just what Amy was asking the kids to think about. What's it like to be born blind? Boy, and I'll tell you, I take sight too much for granted Um, As I've been working on this, like this morning, I went out, I was sitting on our deck, and I was looking up at that blue sky, I was looking up at the clouds, I was looking up, I was just kind of drinking in the fact that I can see all these things. What an amazing thing sight is. And unfortunately, it's something I take too much for granted. What a gift from God. Um, So I asked the question, what's it like to be born blind? And I tried to imagine it, and I couldn't, and uh, so I went to where we usually go when we can't imagine things anymore. That's Google. Um, what's it like to be blind from birth? And I, I Googled that, and this thing came up from a gal named Kimberly Robbins. She said, I'm blind. I'm quadriplegic. I use a guide service dog. She's been blind from birth. I guess that question could be answered with another question. What's it like to have been sighted from birth? It's difficult to answer because, you see, it's been my normal to be blind just like it's been your normal to be sighted. When people ask me what it's like to be blind, in my case, I explain it this way. Imagine if you had a, an eye that was just third stuck in the middle of your forehead right at this moment. and What you see out of that eye is what I see out of my eyes. It's not blackness, but it's nothing. Because certain parts of my brain that, needed, that were needed for sight did not develop properly. You know, I read something else, and I'll just have us do an experiment. Uh, close your right eye and look out your left eye and focus on somebody. I'm going to focus on Dennis right there. Focus. OK, what are you seeing out of your right eye? That's what a person born from blind from birth experiences. They, it's nothing, and they don't have anything like we think, oh, they're probably seeing blackness, but they don't know what blackness is. Wow. Um, this lady goes on, "I've never experienced sight. I do know that I hear things more acutely, and I smell things that people around me can't seem to sometimes. I can sense when I'm close to a wall without actually touching or given the right circumstances, and that as a kid, I always assumed I just wasn't quite as smart as anyone else, because somehow everybody else knew more things than I did, such as color, and that's something that's completely foreign to me. or. I just couldn't understand how they could know about things that were not in reach, like a car down the road. Hmm. One thing that I still can't seem to wrap my mind around is being able to see through a color, like colored glass or plastic. You know, in my mind, color is a solid thing. So how do you see through it? People have tried to explain it many times, but it still makes me think so hard my head hurts. I've made peace with the fact that you can see through a window because it's clear, but That whole colored glass thing just freaks me out a little bit, to be honest. (laughs) Isn't that something? Just thinking about what it would be like to be born blind without any sight. Well, we're going to go visit this man today. And I have to admit, you know, he has a reputation of being a blind beggar. Uh, He's grown up to be a young man, I'm going to assume. And the only way he could make a living was to sit and beg. And try to get people's attention and try to get people to support him somehow. Um, When we look at this passage in John chapter 9, we kind of get it set in Jerusalem. We kind of think that Jesus had been there for the Feast of the Tabernacles and there's probably a bunch of people in Jerusalem at this time. And this fellow's probably parked outside of the temple begging as these throngs of people go in. Um, Let me show you the first verse. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Um, Okay, I just want to stop there. Because that picture I painted for you of just throngs of people walking in, and here comes Jesus, here comes Jesus, and all of a sudden he sees this man. Um, He saw this man, when so many others didn't, and walked right by. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Yeah, he saw him. Uh, He took notice of him. But I, I looked up that word, a little geeky, but I looked up the word in Greek just to see. And I was amazed to see that that word actually means to discern clearly or to experience. And I can almost picture Jesus looking at this man and kind of experiencing it, trying to put him through what this man is, is, is feeling right then. Uh, there's a compassion that's coming from Jesus toward this man more so than this whole crowd. Um, in Psalm 139, I read these verses. This is talking about God looking at us. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Even every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. And I see Jesus coming, and he sees this man. Now, Okay, let me back up a little bit. I I believe that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And boy, that's wild to wrap our arms around. But I believe that as Jesus walked this earth, he took all of that godness, all of that divinity, and all that deity, and he kind of set it aside. So he didn't depend upon the strengths and the powers, but he walked fully as a man and depended upon his Father and the Spirit. And I believe the Spirit drew his attention to this man who's sitting beside the temple begging that everybody else is walking by and he sees. You know, challenges for us to see about our compassion to those people that we walk by. Um, Probably we're kind of more like the disciples. So let me read the second verse. Jesus sees, I can just picture Jesus stopping, all the crowds keep on walking by. The disciples kind of stop around Jesus and there's probably a little, they're kind of pausing, wondering, okay, what do we say now? And so they come up with this answer. Rabbi, his disciples ask him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or or his parents' sins? Just think if you were that guy sitting there by the temple, blind from birth, and You know, like this young lady said in that little write-up, I can hear things that many people can't. I can smell things. I can feel things. And and by that, I get a picture. And I just sense him sitting there hearing this question. Did he sin? This man that was born blind. And he's probably saying, come on, guys. Give me a break. Did I sin? Did I kick my mom in the womb because I was angry or something like that? And therefore, I'm blind now. Come on. The parents. You know, do you want to blame the parents for this? Um, I I just kind of see this as one of those kind of theological, nerdy questions, kind of a nervous question that the disciples may ask. And frankly, Jesus comes back with a great response, but I want to stop there because before we castigate the disciples too much, uh, I want to say I think we're all in the blame game. And I think we're in a time where blaming is uh, kind of popular. Um, I was talking to someone this week. Oh, it, it, it almost broke your heart because I was talking to this fellow and he said, yeah, I got some great friends over on the East Coast and they wrote me and they were so broken-hearted because they just got a note from their daughter who said, you know what? When I was a kid, mom, you spanked me and therefore I, that's why I have so much anxiety right now and I don't want you to come to my house because I don't want the kids to have the same anxiety. You know, there's other things. We, we blame society for all kinds of things. We blame our political leaders. That's a popular thing right now. Yeah, there's that tendency to do the blame game. And I'm afraid when we do that, our tendency to look for who's to blame will rob us of the compassion to see others. You know, years ago, uh, 31 years ago, hey, in fact, I got to tell you something. This is just off the cuff, but Carrie and I are celebrating our 45th wedding anniversary today. (laughs) Mm. Wow. Um, But 31 years ago, Carrie was going through a tough time. And we were walking through her first bout of cancer. And we were here at South. And I've got to tell you, so many of you folks at South were, were so great You reached out to us. You helped us in so many ways. I can remember some people even came over to our house and cleaned the bathroom, which probably as a husband I should have been doing. But um, it was a wonderful thing. But one day we got a letter, one of those anonymous letters. And Carrie opened it up because it was written to her. She opened it up It had some Bible verses beginning there. And then it had this little line that said, I've been praying and I sense the reason you have cancer is because your faith is too small. Oh, that was like getting a kick in the teeth. So discouraging to hear that. Now, I say that, you know, many of you here at South were so terrific. And you lifted us during that time. But isn't it something? Those one or two things that happen like that, you remember. You remember them for good. And I just picture this blind guy sitting by the temple, hearing that statement from the disciples and remembering it. Did I sin and cause this? Before I was even born. What a stupid question. Jesus comes back with an answer. It was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night's coming. But then no one, when no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I'm the light of the world. Let me just, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Amen. And I say amen to that too. And Connie, I love the fact that you said that. But you know, the first time I read it, I'm thinking, okay, the disciples kind of blamed him or his parents. This almost sounds, is Jesus blaming God? Um, let me throw up two different Translations. And for those of you who are joining us or, you know, haven't used the Bible an awful lot, don't know a lot about the Bible, let me just explain. There's a ton of translations or different ways of wording Scripture. And so we get different insights as we look at them. So I'm going to put two side-by-side of that first verse. Um, Notice I've got the first one being NLT. That means New Living Translation, and that's what I'm using today. And I've also got NIV, New International Version. Now, as you look at the, sounds the exact same. The NIV reads, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. But there's a tiny little nerdy thing about these two translations. And I'm just going to point it out to you. If you look at the punctuation, it's different. And if you're at home looking at your Bible, look down and see where the periods are in this verse, in verse 3. And let me read it for you. I'll read the NIV first. Neither this man nor his parents' sins, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now let me read the NLT. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, period. No, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now the difference may not be all that subtle to you, but um, it seems to me when I read that NIV where it's one one sentence together, it almost sounds like God is causing this. And he's causing this, and then he's going to come along down the road sometime, and he's going to step in, and he's going to show mercy, and he's going to receive glory. Where's that first one? It sounds like more, no, it's a separate thing. This happened. God steps in and corrects it. Um, Let me read a paraphrase for you from uh, the message, because I love the way he puts it. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday, and the workday is over. Uh, God does not curse people so he can show his glory later on. Now, I believe so much. We live in a broken world. People fall and scrape their knees. Hey, some people get cancer. Some people lose their sight. Sometimes it's consequences from our previous actions, but a lot of times it's not. Let's stop trying to figure out who's to blame, and instead, let's step in there like God would call us to be his hands and feet to try to bring healing into those situations, to try to, br- try to bring transformation. And Jesus is going to step into this situation now to show his disciples how transformation can happen in this man's life. He spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Salome, Salome means so the man went and washed and came back seeing. The man went and washed and came back seeing. Now, we may have some kind of questions about, oh, you're kidding. He spit in the mud? He made mud out of his spit in the dirt, and then he slaps it on the guy. That probably wouldn't fly during COVID, would it? <laughs> I mean, this is a unique experience. I think we see one other miracle where Jesus used his spit to kind of make a difference in a person's life. But, you know, this is unique. And here comes this man who has not seen anything his whole life. He walks from the temple down the steps to the pool of Siloam, which is just right in door to the temple. He washes off. And I, I can't begin to understand or imagine what it's like as his eyes begin to clear. And for the first time, he begins to see shapes. He, be, he begins to see people that, you know, he could always hear, uh, smell. He could always sense they're around, but now he sees them. He sees color. I'm looking out here right now and I see lots of blue and colors of all that you're wearing. It's an amazing thing to see. And I don't think I appreciate it enough, but I have a feeling this guy appreciated it. He was experiencing a transformation. He was experiencing a transformation. And you know, I want to tell each of you, when Jesus works in our lives, he brings transformation. And I'm not sure that we rejoice enough in it. Let me show you something um, that I think is, is kind of fascinating. And I thank Larry, Larry Boatwright for putting me onto this. Um, but this is a little video of a kid, seventh grade, who has been colorblind from birth. And uh, he's never seen color. He's in a school where his principal has the same experience. He's been colorblind too. And his principal was given a pair of glasses that he can now see colors. And he is sharing these glasses with this little kid. Let's see. They're all yours. Okay? They're all yours. Let's see what it it does. So what do you think, then? Let me go. He <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, come here. Come here, dude. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh. Mom's gonna get in there, too. That is so awesome. I told you it's gonna be a little emotional. <laughs> hey, now that just tells you how beautiful the world you have. God and I got to see it for the first time, right? So be happy, be appreciative of it. But I did, I touched them. Don't, don't you want to touch them? I, I wanted to touch every color, right? Go ahead. You can touch them. That is so cool. That is awesome. What a great day. Huh? Hey, John, if you can laugh and cry at the same day, you have, that is the greatest champion. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And, and I want to share with you that just as that vision came for that boy, and, and tears came to his eye, and joys came into his life. I got to think, man, if we really realized the touch of Jesus on our lives, the changes that he brings into our life, we'd be the same way. Uh, you know, to tell you the truth, I think it's called worship. Yeah. I think it's called worship, and... and, and Boy, worship should bring tears to our eyes. Realization of how Jesus has changed us should should bring such a joy into our lives that we want to let other people know about it, that we don't want to keep it to ourselves. Now we're going to look at what happened to the blind man when he tried to do that. And that's how we want to spend the rest of our time, just looking at what are the different responses to a transformed life. Because not everybody is going to jump up and down and be amazed. And I don't want any of us to be discouraged because of other people's responses to the changes that happen in our lives. Um, As we go on, responses to a transformed life. The first response I see the people give in this passage is, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I remember when. When? Um, and and this is when this blind guy goes back to his community, and let me just tell you it says, he went to the pool of Siloam, he washed the mud off his eyes, and he came back seeing and I believe he came back into the community, the area that he knew Um, in other words I don't think he came back and looked up Jesus in fact, I don't think he's even seen Jesus he, he goes back to his community, he goes back to the people that he knows, and, and this is what happens. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind baker asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, nah, it just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yeah, I'm the same guy, I'm the same one. They asked, well, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and then spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and now I can see. Well, where is he now? They asked. Well, I don't know. He replied, you know, just think of that last question. Where is he now? I can just imagine the the, the guy who was blind standing there and said, well, why do you ask that? I'm standing right in front of you and I'm the one who can see. Why aren't you asking me what this is like? Um, I, I love, you know, and I'll go back to that previous slide, because I, I love that vert, the end of that section, but the beggar kept saying, "Yes, I'm the same one." And I would just say to us, um, when we find people who look at the changes in our life and they say, "I can't believe it," the only way they're going to believe it is as we keep saying it, and as we keep living it, and time will come when they may receive it and believe it. But many times when you take the changes that happen in your life because you've, you've come to Jesus and you've, you've submitted yourself to his grace for the first time, other people, when you go to them and tell them, they'll say, oh, well I remember when alcohol was a pretty bad problem for you. Let's give it a little bit of time and we'll see what happens. I remember when, you know, I could overhear you arguing with your wife almost every other night. Let's give it a little bit of time and see if there's any change that really comes. Yeah, we're going to hear voices like that. But I want to encourage you, do not stop. Do not let the discouragement come because that's the work of the enemy. The enemy doesn't want you to hear what the Father is saying over you. All those many precious things that, wow, was said in there in Psalm 139. No, the enemy wants you to hear the people around you who just can't believe that you've really been changed. Um, you know, it, it had to be kind of a weird feeling, I'm sure, for him to, uh, to sit there and, and hear the people saying this. And it's probably going to be a weird feeling for us to sit there and hear people say that too. But let me just read this from Jesus' life. Uh, When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to his hometown of Nazareth, where where he taught there in the synagogue. Everyone was amazed, and they said, where does he get this wisdom and this power to do miracles? Then the very next verse, then they scoffed, he's just the carpenter's son. We know his brothers and sisters. We know his mom. He comes from here. And the very last verse, they were deeply offended and they refused to believe. Boy, when there's transformation in our lives, some people are not going to like it. And they're going to have a hard time believing it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on sharing. Keep on growing. Keep on living like this blind man did. Um the next uh, response that sometimes can come from a transformed life is, I won't believe it. You know, the first one was, I can't believe it. I knew you before. I I can't believe that there's a change. But this one is, I won't believe it, because it doesn't fit the way I think. It doesn't fit the pattern that I believe is right. Because what was happening here is this group of townspeople, this community around this blind man who now sees, said, well, we don't understand this, so let's take him to the uh, religious leaders, the people that might understand what's going on. So they took him to the Pharisees. And the reason they took him to the Pharisees, it's going to tell us, is because Jesus did this on the Sabbath, on the holy day for the Jews. And uh, they just wanted to know, what are the ins and outs about this? So they took him to the Pharisees. This is what happened. They took the man who, was, who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. And the Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, well, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. And others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? so there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man said, Well, oh, I think he must be a prophet. And the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man who had been blind, so they called in his parents. I'm not going to believe this because it doesn't fit my rules. Um, I, I love how the... Uh, blind man who now sees, uh, answered them and said, well, I think this guy, he must be a prophet. And I couldn't help but wonder as I was reading these verses, if this blind man, as he's sitting there hearing those Pharisees' voices, if he's beginning to identify them, because remember, he sat outside the temple walls for years. And he heard the voices and the footsteps of the people who went by him and ignored him. And now he's standing in front of them. And he's saying, you still don't see me. You're still more concerned about your rules and regulations about when something can be done. And here I'm standing before you and I can see, I can see all of you. Why aren't you excited about that? Why are you more concerned about the rules? You know, I had to had to take some time to just kind of look at um, some of those rules, so I got to share some of these with you. It just blew me away, uh, and, and I'm sure you've, you've heard rules about the Sabbath and just how the Jews came up with all these ideas, um, but let me tell you, first of all, there was one rule that said it's forbidden to make clay on the Sabbath. Okay, you couldn't mix water with dirt or whatever, so it's forbidden to do that. So strike one against Jesus. Um, This one really blew me away. It was forbidden to heal on the Sabbath. That was actually written down. It's forbidden to heal on the Sabbath. Now, you could give medical care. If someone was dying or was close to death, you could step in there and give medical service, but you only had to give enough to keep them from dying. You couldn't heal them. Because healing was work. Strike two against Jesus. This third one just... Cracked me up. And, and, and this was taken straight from one of the laws. As to fasting spittle, it is not lawful to put it so much as upon the eyelids on the Sabbath. Fasting spittle. Um, so, you know, again, I had to Google fasting spittle. Fasting spittle, saliva produced first thing in the morning before breakfast before you break the fast of your sleep. Um, And and fasting spittle has been used to treat a wide variety of diseases for many hundreds of years. Spittle cures are usually considered to be more effective if fasting spittle is used. Good grief. Um, But wouldn't you know it, the Jews had a law about that. Not on the Sabbath. You can't use fasting spittle. You know, one of the things that does for me, it kind of makes Jesus' little healing a little bit more acceptable to me. You know, of spitting and then putting that spittle on his eyes. Um, But it still doesn't make this Sabbath law stuff any more acceptable. It still doesn't make the religious regulations any more acceptable to me. It's, It's disgusting to hear that. And that's what Jesus is stepping in. He's not stepping in to do away with religion He's stepping in to bring a religion of grace. He's stepping in to bring a freedom that we can only have through Him. A freedom that can enter us into that relationship with God. A freedom that can take care of the gap between us and a holy God. All of these rules we're trying to layer our way so that we could approach that holy God in our own effort. Well, it's kind of a yeah, it's an infinite gap, and we'll never make it. When, when Carrie and I were on vacation, we heard somebody use an illustration like this. I thought it was a great illustration of religion. He said, religion is like if someone says, let's swim from the United States to Hawaii. We'll start on the coast of California, and let's all start swimming. Some of us might make a quarter of a mile. That's pretty good. But after a quarter of a mile, you know, we're starting to cramp up, and boink, we drown. Some might make it a mile. But then they start losing it, and boink, they drown. Man, those people that make it 5, 10 miles of swimming, they're saying, wow, look at me. You guys, you guys failed way back there. I'm still swimming. 20 miles, boink, they drowned. And they got a long way to go to Hawaii. The same thing is true with any religious system that depends upon the works of us as human beings to take care of that gap between us and God. We're not going to do it. We're going to drown. And everybody brags about how holy they are in the process. I'm holier than you. And there's division and separation. Jesus came to change that. He came, he came to, to change and, and to, to realize, yeah, there's going to be some people who won't believe the transformation that's happening in your life, but don't let that stop you. And don't depend upon your works depend upon Jesus Christ and the work that he did and the transformation that he brought to you. There's one other response that we see in this passage, and that's, I'm afraid to believe it. It costs a little too much. Um, Remember the last passage we looked at right at the tail, and it says, so they called his parents, because they were starting to say, we don't believe you You know, that's just what you're talking about, just doesn't fit our system. So we'll call your parents, because I don't really believe that you were blind to begin with, even though they walked by him day after day after day. Here's the verses. So they called in his parents, and they asked him, Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? And his parents replied, Oh, we know this is our son, and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Why don't you ask him? He's old enough to speak for himself. Well, that's kind of nice of a parent. You wonder what kind of a mom-dad relationship they have with their son. But we get a better insight when we read the next two verses. And here's the reason. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough. Ask him yourself. And I think many times when when we go to people to share this amazing transformation that we have in our lives, and, and people hear it, some people are afraid because they know, wow, fear kind of paralyzes them. Fear kind of paralyzes them from embracing the truth of that experience. Fear can paralyze people from, from uh, expressing the truth of that experience. It can paralyze them from acting out on that experience fear of how people will perceive us, fear of how people will criticize us, fear of how people will question us. And these parents were faced with that fear. Um, You know, we just went through this Not Like Me series. And it was interesting for me to realize we are in such a divisive time. I mean, that's not interesting. We know we're in a divisive time. We know we're in a very uh, time where, yeah, there's animosity directed toward each other. Opinions differ so strongly. And sometimes we're intimidated from sharing what we know is true. Uh, Peter says in his apostle, be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do it gently. You know, do it sensitively, but be ready to share. Be ready to share about the transformation that you received in your lives. You know, an example I think of, and I... I wasn't there for this. But um, we all know that in the past month, month and a half, the racial tensions in this, in this nation have been huge. And we've seen protests in all the major cities. Um, well, we had, we had what I will now say was an outstanding young woman who grew, grew up in our church. Her name is Myle Walker. And Maya now lives over in California, Southern California. Um, But Maya grew up in our church. And she grew up the parents of a a white mom and a black dad. So she has a darker skin. But she did an amazing thing. When all of this unrest was coming, she stepped into her town of Littleton and she helped to organize a, a march to speak out against racism. And as I understand, there were hundreds of people that came to that march. In fact, I've heard from some people, maybe thousands, but I'll say hundreds. And you can just imagine, with with a march like that, protesting racism, there would be people from all kinds of backgrounds. There would probably be all kinds of emotions being expressed. Well, Maya said this was going to be a peaceful march, and it was. And people carried their signs, and they went to, I think it was the town hall, and then uh, there were two speakers, but Maya spoke first and uh, shared. She gave a great speech, about eight minutes long, ten minutes long, and and spoke about some of those horrors of racism. Challenged the crowd there. I clipped out forty seconds right at the end, and I want to hear. I want you to hear how Maya ended her speech among, in front of hundreds of people from various backgrounds. okay let me see oh you and you only. and only you, you so it's time that we look at those systems where does where can change happen what can we be a part of and I think that it's important to put those things into place but I think that the cure and the remedy to racism is Jesus that's what I think that's what I believe I put my hope in Jesus and I know that racism is a sin that Jesus paid for on the cross so that's why there's grace and there is forgiveness and there is love because at the end of the day, it's already finished on the cross. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for listening to me and, um, keep doing what you're doing. You know, now that brings a couple tears to my eyes when i hear the courage that maya had standing in front of that crowd to draw attention to jesus christ as being the only solution for racism and i totally agree with her i totally agree with her there's one more response that i want to share with you and then we'll close and that's the response i believe it i believe i can i can receive that the fact that i have truly been changed I believe it and people after time seeing your changed life hearing your word shared some not all but some will come to say I believe it there'll still be some people that say oh I remember when you were this or it just doesn't fit my system or it costs too much for me to go there but there will be some that'll say I want to go with you I want to hear more about this Jesus so what happened to this blind man The Pharisees pulled him back in. And and the Pharisees said, uh, for the second time, they they called the man in who was blind. They said, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And uh, this fellow responds, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. But I know this, I was blind and now I can see. I love that answer. In fact, I love all of his answers he's given. Um, Hey, I don't know all the theology and you know what, I'm not even going to go there. Because I know the change he made in my life, and that's what I want you to see. Well, the Pharisees, eh, they're a little upset. They say, but what did he do? How did he heal you? How did he do it? And the guy says, look, I told you once, don't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Woo! this guy's getting a little, woo, I love it, uh, pushing in there. And Finally, the Pharisees have had it. They they cursed him. They said, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And the guy responds, you know, isn't that interesting? He healed me of my sight. He gave sight back to me. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. What a strong... You know, it's like Maya standing in front of that crowd saying... I believe the only answer for racism is Jesus Christ. And this guy is saying, I believe the only answer for my blindness was Jesus Christ. And I hope each and every one of us can say, I believe the only answer to the transformation that's happened in my life is Jesus Christ. Well, this blind man was kicked out of the synagogue, couldn't go back, and that was a very supportive community for the folks in that day. That cost something. But I can just imagine this fellow said, you know, I've been sitting out there by the temple my whole life. You guys walked by me and never even gave me a... I almost said a dime. Never even gave me a drachma. uh, Whatever would be a small coin. Um, Yeah, I'll take my chances on Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, well, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Do you hear that? I get the idea. This is the first time he's seen Jesus and he doesn't recognize him. And and this man comes up to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, well, I'd like to. And then Jesus says, you've seen him and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus and I believe so much when Jesus said you see him I'm standing right in front of you I believe that there was something in that voice that he recognized that went right back to that time when he was in front of the temple And Jesus put the mud on his eyes You know that's a very unique way of healing somebody I don't know how Jesus healed you Yeah you weren't blind you probably hadn't lost your sights maybe it wasn't cancer I don't know but I believe very much when you bring your life to Jesus Christ, he brings transformation and that heals many, many different things in our lives. Um, I want to challenge you with something before we close. And, and that is just, I want to ask you to maybe set aside half an hour or, or an hour this week just to reflect and ask the question. Ask the question, how has Jesus made a difference? in me. You know, as, as I was getting ready for this sermon, I had to ask that of myself. And frankly, I've been a Christian for a long time. I mean, I, I think I accepted Jesus in my life when I was nine and things have been changing ever since then. And sometimes it's easy for me to say, oh, there's, I don't have a great story. I don't have anything like sight being restored or, or alcoholism being taken away or cancer being cured but I had to sit there and think, I wonder what I would be like if Jesus had never come into my life. What would I have been like? And oh man, I came up with a lot of lists of scary things. And it made me realize I am so grateful for the work that Jesus has done in me. And I hope the same is true of you, that as you reflect on what Jesus has done in your life, you might be reduced to tears like that colorblind kid when he saw colors for the first time. That as you reflect on what Jesus has done in your life, you might be like Maya to have the courage to go to somebody else and share it. As you reflect on what Jesus has done in your life, you might be like that blind man who fell down before Jesus and worshiped him. Boy, and I encourage you to worship. We're going to close our service now. And... Um, and just bring this to a close, but I'd just like to lead in a, in a word of prayer, and then we'll have a, have a few closing little announcements, and everybody at home, thanks so much for joining us, and I want to encourage each one of us, be safe, be safe, but boy, let's worship Jesus to the full in this world. Father, thank you so much. You are tremendous for the work you have done. Lord, your your gospel, your good news is so good. It's not based upon what I do, striving to try to get to you. You have reached down to us. And I thank you for that. Lord, remind me of transformation. Bring it to all of our hearts. And may we not be ashamed of it. May we not be afraid of it. May we not resist it. May we submit to your wonderful love and grace. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. Thanks for listening, South family, and have a great rest of your day.